Good morning, LCM. Today is Sunday, June 27th, 2021. This morning, the Lord is surely going to order and direct our steps. As he leads us to the very multitude of treasures that are found in his word. Come on, this morning, the light of his menorah has illuminated a path for us today. That we are going to absolutely take full delight in. Come on, turn with us to Psalm 37. Psalm 37, and we're going to look at verse 23. Somebody say there when you are there. Psalm 37, 23. It says this. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. I want to tell you that I have some personal engagement with this scripture this week. And I was arriving at the shop on Friday just to visit with my friends. And I stepped out of my truck and I turned around to lock the door. And what the Lord said to me in that moment is he said, I am directing your steps. Thank you, Lord. He told me in that moment that he was going to order my steps. And I knew that it wasn't just something out there somewhere else. It was something that he was doing. And in that moment that I arrived at the exact moment that he intended for me to be there to visit with my friends. The entire day was like that. I could feel his leading. I could feel his directing. I can tell you something. That wasn't just for me on Friday. Come on. I know that God is directing our steps today. See, in this verse, depending on what kind of translation you have, translators have a difficult time with Psalm 37, 23. But what's not in question is that it's the Lord who makes firm. He directs. He establishes. He orders our steps. Can somebody say amen? amen. The conflict comes in with people in who's delighting and whose way is getting delighted in. The NLT kind of bypasses all of it and says he delights in every detail of their lives. Okay, ESV doesn't even try to make a stab at who is who. It just says he delights in his way and tries to let you figure out who the he and who the his is. In the 1984 NIV, it says, if the Lord delights in a man's way, he will order his steps. I found a very fantastic translation for you. Tell us, Pastor. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. It is the LCM translation. Are you ready for this one? The LCM translation of Psalm 37, 23 is the Lord orders the steps of his valiant men and the course, the pathway, the highway that he puts you on is one that you will take pleasure in, is one that you will have delight in. It is time for us to understand that today he has put a path before you and is not one of mourning, of grieving. It is one that says, I have the joy of the Lord. I am going to delight in what he puts before me. I can tell you something, church. The great news is there is no real conundrum about this process. It is the Lord's way that he is putting mighty, valiant warriors in this house. He is putting you on a pathway like a highway of oh, holiness yeah. from Isaiah 35. The divine leadership of God as we are following what he has put out before you. So that you take step after step in his will. He is able to ordain, establish, order, make solid that pathway Amen. that you were on, that highway that you are running on, that, that, organ, that path that he has put you there. It reminds me of Amos 3, 7. Surely the Lord, the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan. Somebody say his plan. His plan. He's got a plan. 
And so he gives you plans. He's got the master plan of what he wants to do and he can instruct you exactly how you need to operate because he's got a plan. Somebody say he's got a plan. He's got a plan. He does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. See, his plan is ordered and it's also an absolute delight. Somebody look at your neighbor and just smile at him for a second. Yeah, that was really awkward, man. Goodness gracious. <laughs> God has a plan for you today and he's put you on and it is our job to take absolute delight and pleasure in what he's put. See, the delight comes as we begin to step up to the responsibility to search out what God has laid out for us. Man, as we were praying, I got the thought of like a, like a runway lit with little menorah along the way. God has a path for us. His menorah is lighting the way for each step as we get there. We're like, man, I'm, I'm kind of excited to find out everything that he has for me. Because I promise you, his plan is better than anything that I could dream up. I want to walk in his plan today. That gives us the title of today's sermon. For all of you nerds that like to have your, your notes there, rightly like me, the title of today's sermon is Directed Steps. Somebody say Directed Steps. Directed Steps. Now, do we have some valiant men in the house of God this morning? Some men that are looking and seeking for the Lord to direct their steps. Like a, your left, your left, your left, right, left. Marching as soldiers of his kingdom. And I just couldn't help but imagine as pastor has mentioned a runway that is set up by our Jewish king. That even at Ben Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv, there's little menorahs on the side of the, the runway there. Illuminating, directing the steps of how to land. Well, let's take off with Proverbs chapter 2. Say directed steps whenever you're there. We're going to read out of the ESV, starting with verse 1. My son, if you... Receive my words and treasure up my commands with you. Making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Well, the directing steps here in Proverbs 2, starting verse 1, is aimed at a son, a father to a son. And he's directing him to first receive my words and then next treasure up my commands. Well, this is an important step. The first step is to accept with trust the word of God as it comes to you. Before you fully understand, before you fully comprehend what is going to direct you further, we start from a place of trust. And that trust is seen in the way that you receive God's word. Well, the value in which you put in that reception of God's word is seen how you treasure up those very things that he gives you. Look, a son of wisdom is called to receive the word of God. You are called to receive the word of God. That's what's happening right now. But once receiving the word of God... Every son is called to have the expectation to then treasure it up, store it up within you. Come on, let's look at Acts chapter 17. Everybody turn into Acts 17. 
We're going to look at one of my favorite examples of people who receive and treasure up God's commands. Acts 17 and verse 10. Somebody say directed steps when you get there. Acts 17, 10 says this. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. By the way, in case you've missed it in Paul's journeys, this is often the very first thing that he does when he arrives in a city. When God has sent him somewhere, he immediately goes to find a synagogue to begin discussing what the word of God has to say. This is his first stop. Now, the Berean Jews. Now, don't you just think you've heard the term Berean before. These are Berean Jews. They were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Man, what is that to have said about you that how you have more noble character? What if the other people's character is really bad? <laughs> Not that difficult to have more noble character than the Thessalonians here, than the Thessalonians here, because they were actually causing trouble. But look at what the Berean Jews did to set themselves to show that their character was in fact not just noble, but more noble. Look at what they did. They received. Somebody said receive. Receive. The message with great eagerness and examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Now, these Berean Jews who had more noble character than the other ones, they did something special. They didn't only just receive the word. By the way, receiving is different than hearing the word. Everyone in here is hearing what we're saying, but there's a difference between hearing and actually receiving. See, they received it. They started to get internalized. They started to let the word engage with them. And as they, they were receiving it, they weren't just receiving, but they did it with great eagerness. Amen. They understood the delight that's in the path that God is laying out before them. And you know how they did it? They're listening to Paul and Silas preach probably some of the most powerful messages you can imagine. They're like, yes. I can feel it. It's impacting my heart. Oh, I love this. This is a delight. You know what I'm going to do? I am now going to turn and search the scriptures. Don't we take it in our day and time that if you've received what I've had to say, that you've totally accepted it? Lock, stock, and barrel. Please don't check. Please don't go look. Just take what I have to say, lest you offend me. No, we're saying the right way to do this, to receive the word, is that you have eagerness, and then you go search it out. Amen. Examine <clears throat> the scriptures. Oh, I know you told me a scripture, but I'm going to go search out the scriptures. Because it is high and exalted. I want to know exactly. I know that this must be part of God's path for me. And in this day. So I'm going to go. And I'm not just going to find the one little bit of what you said. I'm going to study the whole scriptures. Because I've received it with great eagerness. Come on now. The delight in the pathway that God has established for these people. Caused them to pursue. Like, like as if they were treasuring something. As they yeah. were storing it up with great eagerness. Church, this all-out passion, this all-out passionate search for the treasures of the scriptures, what did it produce in verse 11? As a result, many of them believed. Church, what happens when you start studying the scripture? 
you actually find trust-grounded obedience beginning to flourish in your life when you go after it and not just some tribal knowledge, not just that someone else knows, but you're digging into the scriptures every day. And what does it do from there? And a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. There was fruit in the kingdom, but the fruit started from a place of receiving the word and treasuring it because that is God's steps for us as we walk in his kingdom. Amen. Did you get that? There's, a on, there's an ongoing benefit to others because you showed the diligence to dig in God's word, to search for those treasures. It's not only benefiting you, but everyone else that you come in contact with. I say everyone in this room has benefited greatly with a pivotal word from God as a result of someone else that was searching for the treasures in it. Well, the very accounting that we're reading right now is out of the book of Acts. And it's speaking about more noble character, men of more noble character, these Berean Jews. Well, I want to show you a man of more noble character, and it's the very author of the book of Acts. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 1. Luke 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, the men who penned the book of Acts is giving his account right here, laying it out in verse 1 of chapter 1. And he starts with, look, many have undertaken the task to record the account. The account of Jesus' life, his ministry, and the ongoing nature of the apostles. Was he intimidated by everyone else's pursuit of this? No. We have the recording right here. No, he he wasn't intimidated one bit because he was a servant of the word. Because he was a servant of the word, he knew that there were treasures that needed to go and be searched out. And he was not going to just back down because there was a multitude of other people seeking out the same thing. He knew he needed it for him, but also he needed it for his disciple. Luke received this account from those who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Just to have an eyewitness of firsthand information is not good enough for Luke. They also had to be a servant of the word. Otherwise, you would have false testimony. You wouldn't unearth the very treasures that are being searched out for. He was a servant of the word. So the accounting that he's looking for must be attested to by other servants of the word. What Luke was not is that he was not one of the 12. And what he received, he then diligently and carefully investigated everything from the beginning. You realize that he was not the first eyewitness of these things. But his diligence and careful investigation said, let's go to the very beginning of things. And then let's move forward. 
Although Luke was not an original eyewitness, he was a servant of the word. And as a servant of the word, he decided to write an orderly account. An orderly account. Is there a Greek word for that, Pastor? Yeah, I think the Greek word is uh, one a note. I think it's uh, translated as a one note. I think it's one note. Happened. Okay. Just want to make sure it's clear. But look, there is something to this. Because he's a servant of the word, he's doing the diligence to carefully investigate from the beginning, and he's putting it in right order, not just for himself, but it's aimed somewhere. Why do we take our notes? Why do we take our sermons? Why do we take what we are searching for in the treasure of God's word and put it in such an orderly fashion? It's because it has impact on generations, not just on me right here and now. In the account here in Luke 1, he says, I decided to write an orderly account for you. This hit me like a ton of bricks the other day. If, I, if I'm putting myself in this position as I am Luke, and I'm sitting down beginning to pen the, what is, will become the gospel, realize that I'm just writing it for one person. Imagine you're just developing the accounting of LCM from the beginning, and it's just meant to go to one person. And that's it. God gives you insight. He gives you depth. And what it ends up being is part of the eternal word of God and affecting multitudes for millennia. Come on. What was written to change just one life, it definitely hit one family and it has been hitting multitudes of nations for thousands of years. Are, are you telling me, Pastor, that if I take my daily bread seriously, it not only feeds me today, but it could feed the generations 50 years from now, 100 years from now, a millennium from now. How seriously are we taking our daily bread? Because it could turn into something like what Luke was producing. And the goal that God gave Luke just right then and there, it's, he's beginning to pin this down. It was to give to that one life, Theophilus, so that Theophilus himself could know the certainty of the things that he had been taught. It's to give him a firm step, to give him directed steps of knowing how to firmly plant his feet in the faith that he's been given. Hearing the good news is just the initial response. The mark of a true servant of the word is to carefully investigate in order to pass on an eternal inheritance to disciples. That's what we're doing in this house. We're constantly mining, digging in God's word, looking for those directed steps because your generations will depend on it. I love the fact that Luke was not one of the 12. Everybody's got that clear, right? I know pastor just said it. Luke wasn't one of the 12 and he was still able to be a part of the Holy scripture that was given. That means you don't have to be here at LCM since the beginning. The time that you arrived was a good time for you to arrive. See, it was part of a pathway. And if you take it seriously and search it out and receive, not only receive, but you treasure it, then you know what happens is you're just as much a part of it as what was started in Come the beginning. But now it's your That's revelation. Good. It was yeah. somebody else that it was given to. But it becomes yours. You become part of this. Let, let me read to you Proverbs 2 again. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commands within you. Come on, church, the very first step for you to take is to receive the words and treasure them up. In verse 2, it says, making your ear attentive to wisdom 
and inclining your heart to understanding. Making your ear be attentive to, to wisdom. Anybody ever had to do that with your kids? You have to make their ear attentive to you. You have to grab them by the face and speak to them at their level. You have to turn your ear to this. Let's all turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up in verse 14. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 14. Come on, take it as precious, the Bible that's in your lap. Everybody get there. Daniel 2.14 says this, When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Well, let me help you to, to piece this together. But this is a pretty powerful scripture that we're starting with. See, we're in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. We're in the second chapter of Daniel, and it's speaking to us about the second year of his reign. He had a dream that troubled him. He, he didn't know what it was, and he had it firmly resolved in his heart, Nebuchadnezzar's heart, that he wanted his wise men, his magicians, his enchanters to both tell him the dream and tell him the interpretation of the dream. He wanted to know what this was about, and he had it resolutely put within him that he would kill them all if they could not do what he's asking. This had progressed to the point so much that Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had received the edict from the king and was going out. He had gone out to put to death. That's pretty advanced in the story, isn't it? Like, he's got sword in hand and going to start finding the magicians, the enchanters, and start putting them down. And Daniel sees him and walks up to him and says, it is now time for me to speak with you, Arioch, with your sword in your hand, ready to kill me. Daniel had wisdom and tact, but he also had some boldness. He was also a valiant man here, standing there before someone who wanted to kill him. You know what he did after that? He then spoke, after he spoke with Arioch, then he decided to go in and he got an audience with Nebuchadnezzar. That's bold move number two. The guy who was going to kill him and the guy who told him to kill him, he's, winning, he's going and talking to them. You know why? Because Daniel is on a pathway that God has firmly established. And then you know what he does? He, it sounds like he's from LCM. Or we're, we're going to be from him. He, he, he goes and gets his brothers. Says, um, this is for real. It's time to go get Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You may know them more by their worldly names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abimbola. But you... I just skipped it. Just skipped over everything. Let everybody fill in the rest of it. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are their names. Those are the Hebrew names of these men. And when they got together, they were calling out to God. They were turning their ear. They were making themselves attentive to the wisdom of the heavens so that God might display mercy. Somebody say mercy. Mercy. By revealing a mystery. Come on, the mercy that comes as God reveals a mystery. Let's look at verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. They're all praying, and the vision goes to Daniel. Hey, what happens when you're praying together and one of you gets the answer? What does that mean? That means you all just got the answer. <laughs> Not worried about who's getting it, but you got the answer. And what does Daniel do? Then Daniel prays the God of heaven. You have a mystery revealed, and then he, Daniel busts out in a praise break. Boom, 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 boom. Ah! 
out. Breaks out, man. That was for you, Linton. Even while the sentence of death was still upon him. See, God made his ear attentive and he received a revelation. Look at verse 20. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times Amen. and seasons. He deposes kings and raises others up. He go. gives wisdom to the wise. Yep. He gives knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. Amen. It doesn't say he dwells in light. It says light says, I want to come get close to you. He is the God who gives wisdom and power. And Daniel is extolling that. But it gets better. Somebody say it gets better. Yeah. Look at verse 23. I thank and praise you, God, of my fathers. Not only have you given wisdom, you have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we have asked of you. You've made known to us the dream of the king. Somebody needs to understand what I'm trying to say today. It's not just that God can give wisdom to someone. It's that God can give wisdom to you. It's that he can show mercy by revealing the mysteries that you have before you. He will reveal it to you. Amen. I'm trying. I'm trying, Pastor. I'm trying. Uh, Y'all going to have to help me today. It's one thing to acknowledge that God can. Of course, he deposes kings. I mean, light, even light, light dwells with him. What is on your path that you need to not only receive the word, but treasure it? What is on your path that you need to turn your ear towards him, that you need to incline your heart because you get to have mercy from God because he will reveal things to you. You have given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what I've asked for. You've made known to us what has to be done before us. Come on, that is a special thing that Daniel's got here. Because he turned his ear, he made his ear attentive to wisdom, and he inclined his heart towards understanding. Did you, you see the boldness that Daniel had? He, had, he literally had directed steps. Directed steps to go right to Arioch. Directed steps right to the face of Nebuchadnezzar. And he did all that based on the trust that God would speak to him. Not having it all mapped out beforehand. But he just knew who his God was. And he knew who he was as a secure son in his God. Man, that's a good word. Yeah. See, I, I think why it didn't resonate at first is that he's the revealer of mysteries it's because that security needs to be further built inside of you that he will reveal the mysteries in your life. He's the same God that will reveal the mystery of how to pay next month's bills in addition to how to raise the dead. He's the God who will reveal the mysteries of what you're called to be because he will reveal the mystery of what you're supposed to do today that's right here in front of you. He's the God that directed your steps for the past decades of your life and he's the god that will continue to direct the steps for the remaining decades of your life we serve a faithful god who shows us the very next thing to do the very next step to take and the more that we put our trust in who he is than just our strength we can have the same kind of boldness that daniel did 
But see, this, this is a, an, an escalating process. That's what's happening here. You receive his word. You treasure up his commands. You make your ear attentive, but it's supposed to go one additional thing further in this step. And that's to incline your heart to understanding. Go to Deuteronomy 5. We're going to pick up verse 24. Say directed steps when you're there. And you said, this is Moses speaking to the people. The Lord our God has shown us his glory and his majesty. And we have heard his voice from the fire. Today we have seen that a person can live even if God speaks with him. But now, why should we die? This great fire will consume us and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer. For what mortal has ever heard the voice of the living God speaking out of fire as we have and survived? Go near and listen to all that the Lord our God says. Then tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you. We will listen and obey, we promise. Verse 28, the Lord heard when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard this what this people has said to you. Everything they said was good. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always, so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Church, they heard his voice. However, God desired that they would not only have an attentive ear, but combine it with a heart that would be fixed upon, a heart that would be belonging to the Lord and to the Lord alone, one that would be inclined towards him. Having seen his glory, having seen his majesty, having heard his voice from the fire, their hearts needed further transformation. Their hearts needed to then be inclined towards him. Well, that's the very opposite of what our default is, as Jeremiah declares. That the heart is sinful beyond our cure. It is a declination away from the things of God. And seeing exactly how the people respond is that, yeah, we heard everything you said. Our ears were attentive to it. But there's one additional thing that needs to happen inside of them. And when you read God's word and it begins to cut you, it begins to speak about you, it begins to challenge your position. Do you run from it and just wait for somebody else to digest it and then share this summary with you? Or do you in that moment turning your heart upwards towards God and saying, I don't know how to fix this heart of mine. Only you know how to incline my heart towards these, these things. Only your hand can reinscribe your words upon my heart. And I need a heart that is solely dedicated, sold out for who you are, O oh Lord. In doing so, the Lord's desire is that they would also have this heart of inclination that would keep all his commands always. Uh, say the word all. All. This is an important point for us today. A heart that has been transformed is a heart that seeks to keep all his commands always. Not portions of it, not segments, all. The word of God is the only means by which the heart of man can be inclined towards God. Received, treasured up his commands, making your ear attentive, it leads to inclining the heart. There's an escalating nature that God is after here that receiving his words on Sinai. 
They treasured up his commands inside the Ark of the Testimony. They're making their ear attentive to wisdom from his word so that they can then have a transformed heart that inclines it to understanding. Well, this continues in even greater escalation in Proverbs 2, verse 3. Let me read this to you. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. See, it doesn't just stop with a heart that is inclined towards him. It is now this heart's cry of, Lord God, I now want more. I want more understanding. I want to get closer to you. I don't know the fullness of your will, but I want to know it. So my heart is going to call out to you. Come on, it's time for us to call out today. Let's turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, we're going to begin in verse 169. Come on, somebody say directed steps when you get there. Directed steps as we get to Psalm 119 in verse 169. It says this, may my cry come before you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. This is in the section. This is the final section in Psalm 119. So that means it's attached to the final letter of the alphabet, the Tav. We look at it as crossed sticks, as a cross in the paleo version. A monument, a sign, a signal, a mark. A real signal that God is doing something on the inside of you is that you begin to cry out, say, Lord, I need your insight. Lord, I need to raise, I'm raising my voice for understanding. Give me understanding according to your word. Amen. Come on, what is it like when you're nervous about something? Um, excuse me, sir, may you, would you um, kind of, sort of, please? What happens when you grow in your security? Hey, I'm not good at this. I need God to help me. Hey, I'm telling you, will you pray for me? Because I need, I want his insight. I want his wisdom to be in me. I want his word to develop in me and I'm going to cry out for it. I'm not going to be ashamed of it. Look at verse 170. May my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise or according to your word. May my lips overflow with praise. For you teach me your decrees, your word. May my tongue sing of your word. For all your commands are righteous. God, my prayers rise up to you. This is me calling out for the insight of your word. My lips are overflowing with praise. Everybody say overflowing. Overflowing. If your lips are overflowing with praise, then this is not just when you're singing led by someone else. Well, isn't that kind of a theme of what we're saying today, Pastor? Yes. That your praise is not generated by someone on the stage. Your praise is generated by the overflowing of the word inside of your life. That the word of God that comes to you, you have five days a week in this church. Five. That someone else is engaging with the word and trying to share with you. Sundays, right now, Monday nights, Wednesday nights, Friday nights, and Saturday home group. We got five days a week where the word is being presented. But what I can't do for you is cause you to cry out so that that word transforms you. What we can't do for you is cause it to transform and change you. We can try to put music before you, but we can't make you praise. 
We can put the word before you, but we can't make it transform you. That's what the word does. You get in and engage with the word Amen. and watch what it starts doing in you. Amen. I promise you, every problem that we all have is because we're not engaging with the word enough. Yeah. Period. The more, I don't just mean reading it. That's where you start. You can receive it, man, that's good. You can start to treasure it, but you've got to develop through this until you're crying out, God, help me, I want your insight, and it only comes through your word. Not a singular portion. I'm not looking something that's fancy and shiny so I can make you think that I know what I'm talking about. I'm getting in the word because I'm crying out for insight. I am crying aloud for his understanding of his word. But I digress. Got a little excited. Verse 173. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation. Amen. Lord, your law, your word gives me delight. These steps that you put me on are so delightful. Let me live that I may praise you. May your laws sustain me. Are you hearing this escalation, church? You can receive it like the Berean Jews did. You can treasure it like Luke did in the beginning of Luke. You can make your ear attentive like Daniel. You can turn your heart like Moses did in Deuteronomy. But there's just got to be a time when you start to cry out because it's down inside of you now. Like blind Bartimaeus, you got to go, son of David, have mercy on me. Lord, teach me because I don't know. I need more of your presence. I need more of your spirit. I need more of your word to change me, Lord. Amen. There's got to be something that rises up on the inside of us. Look at 176. The final verse in this lengthy psalm says this. I have strayed like a little lost lamb. <laughs> Seek your servant. When I'm seeking after his word, it's really that his word is seeking after me. Yeah. I'm getting in the word not to impress you, but that he would seek after me. That it would change something on the inside of me. That it would come alive inside of me. For I have not forgotten your, command, your commands. Church, we've got to cry out for these things. Amen. Enough of trying to do things that we think other people want from us so we don't lose face towards others. That's just pride. Get rid of it. That's your own fears. Get rid of it. Cry out to God. Call out for his understanding, for his wisdom, and he will come and meet you every time. Well, this is being written from a perspective of a shepherd's heart for a sheep. It says, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. Our household knows a little bit about this. We have a dog that likes to travel. <laughs> Particularly when doors and garage openings are left uh, accessible. The other day, my dog uh, escaped and he was gone for somewhere around, I don't know, 16 hours. We were distraught. Especially, well, me. I loved him. I was crying out to God. Lord, seek him out. I have no idea where he is. Give me a word of knowledge. I want to find him. And I got a message to prepare for. It was on Wednesday. 
But I think one of the more pure things that came out of this event was my youngest daughter, Emmy. She goes to the landing halfway up our stairs where Cole normally lays down and views everything. She laid down, curled up in a fetal position and just began to sob and cry. And what came out of her heart was pure, as precious. She said, Lord, send him back. Send him back home. And it was truly a miracle because he had never been gone for that long. We left the side gate open and within an hour and a half, here comes Cole, my black lab, traipsing right through the back gate and went right into the pool. <laughs> Tara called and said, you wouldn't believe it. Cole's back and he's in the pool. <laughs> and my girls asked me, do you think he learned his lesson this time? I said, no. No, he didn't. It just takes better shepherding on our part because there's a nature in him that needs to be transformed. Well, this is us. This is God heart, God's heart for us. That he wants us to put ourselves in a place where we're crying out for him, crying out for his word to come search me out. Come search my most innermost being. You know, Psalm 14, 2 is very clear that the Lord looks for those who seek him. The fool says in, a heart, in his heart, there is no God. But what God is seeking after the whole time is for those that are searching out for him. Those that know their condition. They know that they are lost. And they know that only him and his word is what can rescue them. That's not just the beginning of our lives. That's the entirety of our lives. Because we have a great shepherd over us. Like we've been saying, these are directed steps that are ever escalating. Go with me to Proverbs 2, and we're going to pick up with verse 4. Proverbs 2, 4 continues in these directed steps. If you... Seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. In our escalating pursuit to understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, what does seeking and searching for wisdom, seeking and searching for understanding and insight look like? Well, exactly like he says, seeking it or, search, or seeking for silver and searching for it for hidden treasure. But let me ask you this. You've watched Discovery Channel. You've seen all the YouTube videos of those that seek the lost treasure in the sea. They go and dig for the diamonds and the gems in the heart of the earth. How many millions of dollars and days upon days are spent seeking these things out? Innumerable. Because they know the value of that which they're looking for. But let's put it in a more realistic fashion more realistically in our world what if we told all the kids in the children's church that we've hidden a large bag of chocolate somewhere in one of the classrooms and when you find it you get to keep it it's all yours well you thought you had trouble getting them to stay in children's church you put that before them and you're going to have trouble getting them out of the church 
They will turn everything upside down. They'll spend all time and energy searching for that treasure. What about you, though? Let's make it relative to you, to me. What about when you sit down to read and engage the living and active word of God? If revelation doesn't leap off the page in the first 15 minutes of engaging his word, you're discouraged and you feel like, what's the use? I really can't hear from God anyway. I don't have the intellect of this person. I don't have the anointing of that person. I'm just a failure and I can't understand God's word. Say, no, pastor, it's not 15 minutes. I do that at 30, so I'm doing okay. <laughs> the whole point is, are you seeking until you find it? Are you searching until you possess it? Are you doing whatever it takes, expending every hour, expending every energy to find what God has put right beyond your grasp? Because when you have spent it all, it means the world to you. Man, when you have labored for a revelation, it is firmly inside of you and nothing can take it away. It is immovable. You've got to go after the things of God that are in his word like a treasure hunt. You have to expend all to possess all. Your heart needs to be strengthened to do this though. If not, it just needs to be transformed. Transformed in a way that it's free from despair. It's free from fear. Oh, it's definitely free of distractions and free of offenses. You have to seek and search out the things of God because they are worth your lifetime effort to obtain. It's time to have a heart transplant this morning. It's time to have a transformation inside of us that has a heart that seeks out the treasures of God day and night until we have fully obtained it. We have something visual we want to show you about these escalating directed steps. Let's put it up. The steps of Proverbs chapter 2, 1 through 5. What begins in verse 1 is the receiving of his word and treasuring up his commands within you. But it escalates. It gets even more. That you are to make your ear attentive and incline your heart to understanding. But you got to take another step higher. You have to call out for insight. You have to raise your voice and ask for it. But it doesn't just stop right there. You then take that next step of escalation. And you must seek and search out for wisdom. Until you get to that point where you have it. You realize that in verse 5, it begins with then. Then you will find the fear of God. Then you will have the knowledge of God. It's not until you've done the previous four steps that you get to the then. How many times have I journeyed in this and I just jumped right to step two or step one and I expected to be at step five. Lord, I put in the time to receive and treasure it up. Now can I have the fear of the Lord? Now can I have your knowledge? No, you're not done yet. Take the remaining steps of escalation. Let him direct your steps as the word is directing your steps. Then you're going to find that very thing that you've been longing for, needing, and probably now know more than you did when you first started. The fact that we are at a church that is so abundantly blessed in the category of the word 
can cause you not to seek and search after it like the precious treasure that it is. Is this a true statement? It's handed to you on a silver platter constantly. What we're trying to say is you and I need to search and seek after it like it were the most precious of treasures because it is. See, but this concept didn't just start in Proverbs. Solomon didn't just make this up here. This started all the way back in the Torah. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 13 with me. Deuteronomy 13. And say directed steps when you get there. Man, I love that the Bible says that you, then you will find the fear of the Lord. Then you will find the knowledge of God. It can be for you. It is not just for someone else. It's about you searching after it, seeking for it, and not yielding until you actually find it. See, the word of God is so important. Here in, in the context of Deuteronomy 13, let me set the stage for you. We're going to begin reading in verse 12, but let me set the stage for you. The beginning of this is saying, it is so elevating the word of God that the beginning of Deuteronomy 13 says, if there's a prophet, if there's a seer, and, and he predicts, he talks about a miracle, and the miracle comes true. But he is advocating a different way than the steps that God has said. You were supposed to put that man to death. He's performing miracle, miracles. He's accurately prophesying about a miracle that is taking place. And he's the one that performs it. But if he's telling you different steps than what God has said in his word, then you put him to death. Somebody say, that's serious. That's serious. The next passage goes on to say that it's talking about to you if there's a family member, not only a prophet, but a family member that comes to you secretly and says, um, um, we should go and do this a different way. We should follow other steps in what God has prescribed. The word is, is nice and all, but we have decided that we're going to do it a different way. That's real. Deuteronomy is saying that you cannot allow this to stand and that you must rid yourself of even the family member, just like the prophet, just like the family member. And then by verse 12, I want you to see how serious God is about this. It's about someone else, somewhere else. Then it's about your own family. And then it's about this in verse 12. If you hear it said about one of the towns, the Lord, your God is giving you to live in. That troublemakers, somebody say troublemakers, troublemakers, have arisen among you and led the people of their town astray, saying, let us go and worship other gods. Gods that you have not known. A pathway that's other than what the scripture has said. Then you must inquire, probe, and investigate it thoroughly. And if it is true... And it has been proved that this detestable thing has been done among you. You must certainly put to the sword all who live in that town. You must completely destroy it, both the people and the livestock. Then you're supposed to take the plunder of the city, put it in the middle of the city, burn it down, and never rebuild the city. Somebody say, that's serious. Wow. See, when we're talking about the seriousness of God's word, we've got to take the word of God more seriously in our lives and in this place. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. I want to tell you in verse 12 
what the term for, uh, I'm sorry, verse 13, what the term for troublemakers is. Troublemakers is literally in the Hebrew, men who are sons of Belial. How the NIV translated that as troublemakers is an interesting, it's an interesting path, but it's literally men, sons, Belial. What does that mean? You might be thinking and remembering a passage in 2 Corinthians 6. We're not going to turn there. That's talking about what is in common between righteousness and wickedness. What, what fellowship is there between light and darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and Belial? See, the literal translation of this is they're trying to get at the worthless nature of these men. They're worthless. Why? Because they're advocating a different way than what the word of God says. 1 Samuel 2.12 says this. Eli's sons were scoundrels. Somebody say scoundrels. Scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. By the way, the term for scoundrels there is sons of Belial. The sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They had the word prevalent. I mean, they were there at the temple every day. We, we were only doing five days a week. They had it every day. But they were leading people away from the path the Lord had established. By verse 17, it says that they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. They had no regard for the word. They had no regard for the Lord's offering. These men, listen to this. These men were dissecting the word. They were dissecting the word. How, well, how, what do you mean, pastor? How are they dissecting the word? They're digging in and they're trying to choose what's best for them out of the word. Literally, Literally instead of sticking the fork in the pot, they said, ah, I don't want it to be for chance. I don't want to get just what the Lord will provide for me. I want to choose the cut of meat. Uh-uh, I want that filet right there. And if the person says that they shouldn't do that, they'll say, we'll take it by force. When you begin to choose what you'd like to get out of the word, you're dissecting it. I like that part. That part makes me feel good. Let me stay in this area. Let me do what's best, best for me based on my own thoughts that you beginning to dissect the word. Deuteronomy 5 says that we're supposed to keep all the commands always. Right. In other words, what are we saying? How about we let the word of God choose what our path is? Come on. You agree with me, but God is calling us to a higher standard right now. Amen. Somebody say now. now. I mean, in this moment, I can feel what he's doing and we agree. Yes, we want to let the word, but every time you choose your path, you're dissecting the word instead of letting the word choose it for you. Why? Cause you're afraid. Because you're not sure that God will take care of you. He might do it. He might be the God who gives wisdom. But will he give it to me? I'm telling you today, when you exalt the word, he will do it for you. But you cannot dissect the word. Let me quote to you from Hebrews 4. The word of God is alive. It's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the intents of your heart. What is happening in this is that the word is supposed to dissect you. Amen. You not dissect the word. 
Let me, let me get this so, let me look at this one point and move it out of the context of what God is saying and the path that he's put me on. That's the job of the word to do inside of you. Come let on. the word dissect you. You don't know the difference between your own soul and your spirit, but the word does. You don't know the difference between the thoughts and the attitudes of your own heart, but the word does. The word is the judge. It will help you. It will put you on right footing. It will remove these other things that cannot be there. But you cannot dissect the word. 2 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 1 says, Now there's a troublemaker named Sheba, son of Bichri. You can imagine by this point that troublemaker is a son of worthlessness, a son of Belial. Why? Because he was dissecting the word and did not want King David to be sitting on his throne. Let, let me go ahead and read the verse since it's on the screen. Now, a troublemaker named Sheba, son of Bikri, a Benjamite, happened to be there. He sounded the trumpet. Well, that's mighty forthcoming of you. And shouted, we have no share in David, no part in Jesse's son. Every man to his own tent. And you know what people did? People went to their own tent. He has no regard for the word. You know why? Because he was dissecting it. Why? Because he was trying to deflect it from it actually piercing his own soul. He was, had no regard for the word or for the Lord's anointed. He's choosing to be king instead of David. Who goes out and makes a trumpet and then, then decrees something to someone? That's the role of the king. And this Sheba, son of Bikri, that's exactly what he's doing. Church, God is getting at some things today. Oh, pastor, I would never trumpet my own. I would never toot my own horn. But don't you when you choose your own way? Yes, you do. Don't you when you're not treasuring what the word of God says? Yes, I do. Oh my God, I, I'm sitting on the throne and I'm trumpeting it. Like I came up with this great decision. Instead of the God-ordained plan. Church, what God is saying to us today is his word is serious and we cannot elevate it high enough. We cannot. What you're seeing are men who are trying to elevate the word in our own lives. And we're trying to call to our people and say, let's elevate the word higher. Let's have it engage. Let's search after it more. Let's have it come from a burning passion. Not just some ob obligation. Lord, I don't want to dissect your word. I want to understand all of it. I want to study the scriptures. I want to see what your word has to say. So that anything that I'm thinking is driven, is determined by your direction. Because I know that that is a delightful way. The Lord is bringing this to our attention. <laughs> because he's a good father. And he's directing our steps as sons. He's warning us. Don't dissect my word. Don't dissect it for the purpose of deflecting your responsibility to it. Just picking and choosing the parts that are good for your soul alone. That's treating it with contempt. However, when we're letting the word, the living word of God, dissect our hearts, dissect our mind, our thoughts and emotions, we're getting one step closer to finding the fear of the Lord. We're getting one step closer to possessing the knowledge of God. Let's see this as it's all put together in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Turn there and say directed steps when you get there. 
Church, we're getting ready to really bring this to a razor thin edge here. This is normally the time we're right at an hour where we can begin to move, shuffle. The word of God is important enough that we do not need to do that. The reason I'm telling you we're getting close to an end is because you can make it. Yeah. But let's actually let these next few minutes together be us pressing in and searching for it because God has treasure for us today. Amen. Ecclesiastes 12, we're going to start in verse 10. The teacher searched to find just the right words. And what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. See, the effect and the fruit of having the word of God dissect you is that you then come away with a collected saying from it. It's a collection instead of a dissection. You walk away with a treasure trove of revelation and experience with God's word. But it doesn't just stop with having a collection of sayings of the wise. These collected sayings then progress to being firmly embedded nails. Points of security. Connected points to the larger narrative of the entirety of God's word. Collected sayings remain connected to the entirety of the word. There's no dissection of one truth separate from another. What is stated in Genesis is collected with the book of Samuel, collected with Proverbs, and it remains connected all the way through the book of Revelation. There's no part of the word of God that doesn't apply to me. I am just putting myself in submission and at the mercy of it. To let it decide what steps I'm to be directed by. The sinful heart of man seeks to dissect God's word so it can deflect its conviction and application of its own heart. But when true sons seek and search for his collected sayings like silver, searching for it like hidden treasure, they become even more of a secure son. Having a contiguous collection of God's word firmly embedded inside of them, securing their sonship and the ability to then be led by the one great shepherd. Think about those times where you went through the steps that we walked through in Proverbs and you were at a point of desperation, seeking and searching, and then you found the fear of God. You found the knowledge of God. How much more confidence did that give you to the next directed step that he was going to lead you through? Gave you even more surety. Yeah, you know what? God led me here supernaturally. So this greater thing doesn't surpass the greatness of my God. And he's going to direct my steps in this situation as well. Even if it's facing death itself. When you're engaging the word of God in its entirety, trusting that God will reveal his will to you through it, his spirit is right there ready to open up to you the understanding, wisdom, and knowledge of it so that you can continue to take firm steps of obedience. God is trying to encourage us today, church, 
that we might have these collected sayings that we're not looking to dissect or parse out any singular verse or passage. But pastor, that's how I study. No, you're studying because you want the word of God. You're searching after him. He might highlight something to you and you begin to pull on a thread, but that thread is supposed to be connected to the larger narrative. We are always trying to put what we are learning now in the larger narrative. You know why I know that we need this? Because the Lord has been speaking to this group about offense towards one another. A prophetic word came forth this morning during the worship time about jealousies towards one another. You know how I know that we need this? We need the whole collected sayings because you're becoming more and more biblically biblically literate and we're still having issues with just us looking at someone else comparing ourselves to them and being jealous of them that's that's the simplicity of it if you understand what he's doing and you realize the collected sayings it becomes like firmly embedded nails in your soul do you know how much we need this how many times have you said man that was a great service what did they talk about i really can't remember You're hearing it, but it's not becoming firmly embedded in your soul. How many times has this church taught many, many things over and over again? And you're like, man, this is the first time you said it. Yeah, because this is the first time it became part of the collection and it got firmly embedded in you. Because they've been given by one shepherd. Look at these quick passages together. In a rapid fire kind of way, I'll read them to you. Write them down and... You search this out. Second Samuel 23 verses one and two says this. These are the last words of David. You ready for the last words of King David? The inspired utterances of David, son of Jesse, the oracles, the utterances of the man exalted by the most high, the man anointed by the God of Jacob. He was the hero of Israel's songs. He was the singer of their songs. These are the last words of David. We actually have a collected sayings of King David. Through the Psalms, through Samuel, through the Chronicles. He is a man who had an incredible story. But look at verse 2. It says, the Spirit of God spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The The summation of King David is that it was his word that was on his tongue. It was God's word on David's mouth. What does that mean for us? That means that this is all about God's story. It's God's testimony that's being worked into us. And we have to have an understanding of the broader narrative because it's his word. We see it as words, but there is one thought, one plan, one God who has said this. This is a collection. What you have before you is a collection of the sayings of God himself for you. The most precious of things in John 10, verse 34, it says, Jesus answered them. It is, is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Somebody say cannot be broken. The scripture cannot be broken. So that means it mustn't be broken up in our own lives. We must not dissect it and parse it out because it cannot be broken. But what happens when you and I, church, we have the word of God, so it work in us. If the scripture cannot be broken and he is actively working in you, that means that you're not going to be broken either. That you not only have healing, but you have the power, the strength that you need. It's almost like there are firmly embedded nails that get down and hold you together, that secure you by the power of his word. 
Listen to Revelation 1 for our final scripture. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Church, we're talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ. But what does he do with it? He gives and shows his servants, those who are seeking after him, searching for it, they're able to find it. He sends it to his, his servant, John. You know, the servant of the word, John, right here. And he testified to what he saw. But what did he see? He saw the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Man, you want to talk about one shepherd. This is what John is relaying. And look at how important even the book, uh, especially the book of Revelation is. Blessed is the one who reads it. You're blessed if you read it. And blessed are those who hear it. Blessed are those who take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Church, the time is near, but we have the words, the collected sayings of one shepherd. They're being driven like firmly embedded nails into our souls, even this day, from one shepherd. The very shepherd that is revealing himself, not only in the book of Revelation to his servant John, but he's revealing his word to us today. Church, ascend to our feet. As you do, Sound Booth, put up the slide of the steps for us again. Here's what we're asking as your pastors. We're asking that this morning and at this altar, seek for his word to dissect you. Seek for his word to judge your thoughts and attitudes, your heart, so that you can have collected sayings, so that they can become firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd, so that you can be strengthened and put in a better position as a son. When you're looking at this chart, where have you dissected his word? Where have you missed a directed step that you need to come back to? to repent and return to. Because the Father is just putting before you the directed steps of how to find the knowledge of who he is, how to have the fear of the Lord. And this is the very thing that's the beginning of all wisdom. Let's let our hearts return back to seeking the word of our Father that judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart, that has a love for his word, not an obligation, a love because it's living and the more that you engage with the living word of God the more you will love the word of God because when you get up from this altar you're going to get up in a more secure position as a son that's where we're heading as a church and as a church we're going to grow in our love and scholarship for this living word mighty God let your word come right now let it dissect pierce our own souls Oh, that we may know and fear you more and better. Show us, Lord, where we're missing your directed steps. Show us how we are to repent. How we're to turn and incline our heart back towards you. 
Lord, that we may continue in this journey of becoming just like you. Lord, transform our hearts again this morning. Let your word come alive. And let your kingdom be built inside of us today so that we can build it in others tomorrow. 